Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to On Trial, starring Mark Radlich, also starring John Comer. Hope you're ready, Hollywood, because you're On Trial. All rise. The court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Fudge presiding. This is on trial. And tonight I am your defense attorney, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And the subject that is on trial tonight is Thor, the Dark World, the second installment of the Thor trilogy and the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's somewhere in there. Somewhere around the Winter Soldier. And there we go. (laughs) It's lucky number eight. (laughs) And that voice you hear, uh, quick to correct me and keep me on task, is the imitable prosecuting attorney for tonight's proceedings, Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Alex Cabot for the prosecution, your judginess. I'm good. Um, if my voice sounds a little bit funny, forgive me. I'm, I'm battling a nasty cold sore that's reminding me of its presence every time I move my lower lip. Um, and also, I've just gotten done setting up with Alexis for the Honeysuckle Rose Creations table at Kansas City Comic Con tomorrow. So Outstanding. Yeah, yeah, good time to be maxing, relaxing, chilling, all cool, um, and talking about the worst of the three Thor movies. <laughs> oh, what a, dis- <laughs> what a discussion we're going to have tonight. All right, uh, you know how the game is played. Uh, we, <clears throat> we talk a bit. Sean gives us some notes. I give a very brief plot synopsis, and the prosecution makes their case. The defense answers said case. The prosecution gets the final <clears throat> word. We, we, we shake hands, we spit, and we're out of here. So, Sean, what do we got as far as notes tonight on Thor the Dark World, this being all things Thor week, as we celebrate the release of Thor Ragnarok? Rock, rock. Uh, well, I'll keep it pretty short and sweet. Uh, when it comes to the Thor movies... I I refuse to call them exactly the best of the Marvel Universe. Uh, I give them credit for the fact that despite being easily 
in my opinion, the three weakest films of the MCU. They're still all pretty good. Before I get into character as the prosecution, I want to say I don't think that Thor The Dark World is without its merits. Um, it's just that it, when you watch all three movies, you have a jarring disparity between all of them. Uh, the first one really did a nice did a nice job of establishing Thor's origins through a modern sort of science meets mythology, almost urban fantasy setting, almost kind of high fantasy meets urban fantasy in places. It it had a generous bit of humor to it. It, in my opinion, it really struck just the right tone. But what I found with all three, with the first two movies, is that it takes me a second viewing uh, to really fully render an opinion. Uh, the first one was excellent. Again, it was Thor's origin story done right. We established the feud between Thor and Loki. We set Loki up as ultimately the big bad of the MCU Phase 1. Uh, Thor 2 came along, and problem number one, uh, Kenneth Branagh, who directed the first movie, who is a, a, a legendary, classically trained Shakespearean actor and a superb filmmaker, as it turns out, did not come back to direct this one. Uh, they considered several people to take his to take his place, including, and this is an important footnote, um, a lady by the name of Patty Jenkins, who uh, had to bow out despite being hired at first because she felt that Marvel and Disney were not going to allow her to tell the story that she wanted to. She had an idea that. She wanted to tell an almost Romeo and Juliet-like tale in which Jane was essentially stranded on Earth and there was no way <clears throat> Thor could traverse the realms to come and save her. Um, and after he would have, they would have discovered the whole plot of... Malekith hiding dark energy inside of inside of Earth because he wanted to capitalize on Odin's indifference toward toward the realm and was going to use that to trick him. Which ultimately, you know, the fact she wasn't able to do it, it came out in the wash. Uh, number of years went by, and she got another opportunity to direct a a comic movie that, as as I recall, it did okay. I mean, it was pretty well received. <laughs> uh, I can't recall the name Wonder Something. Uh, Wonder Bread. Something Woman. Wonder yeah, Bread the movie. Wonder Bread. That was it. Wonder <laughs> Bread the movie. Um, basically, she did all right. Uh, and it sounds like, again, it really worked out for the best. Uh, instead, they brought aboard Alan Taylor, who ended up telling, I'm not going to say it's dark, because when you say that, that sort of brings to mind either A, the way DC thinks every superhero movie should look, or uh, 
the general tone of the of the Marvel Netflix anthology. I'll say that it was more dramatic. It certainly was grim in places, but it lacked any it lacked something as far as developing Thor as a character and really fleshing him out after the first movie told what was both an origin story and kind of a tale of kind of a redemption tale when you look at the entire arc from start to finish. Uh, It was was a bit of a maturation story told in just about two hours. This one, it didn't do too badly. (laughs) Uh, It, it did, it did all right. Uh, on a 152.7 million dollar net budget, 170 million gross budget, it did 644.6 million dollars at the box office. And keep in mind, at this point, there has not been a categorical Marvel bomb in theaters since Iron Man. It has not it has not happened. Not in terms of movies made by Marvel Studios. We're obviously ruling Fox out of that. But we're gonna hear a lot more hear a lot more in the plot, but again, in the first movie you have a tale of redemption. It's a maturation story Thor kind of discovers himself after he's been stripped of his title, his throne, his hammer, his powers, everything. And he, he's forced to kind of become a selfless man. Uh, Ragnarok, I don't know, just to get it out of the way, I'm going to need to see it again. There was a lot that I liked about it, but at the same time, the goofy tone from start to finish just it started to feel awkward and forced sometimes by about halfway through the movie well, like out of character badly forced I, I still found myself laughing at a lot at it a lot but I still can't quite see myself going okay yeah, that that definitely belongs in MCU continuity. That feels right in feels right in place there. Whereas I can at least watch this and feel like it's not a complete sidetrack from the events of phase 1. Uh it's I'll say this, it's and I'll get into more of this when we get into get into my case. It's got an outstanding cast. Chris Hemsworth, of course, the man is Thor. He's Thor the way Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark, the way Chris Evans is Captain America, because that's another thing Marvel has never gotten wrong. I would dare say I don't think they have ever cast a major major character badly yet. I'm sure someone will argue me with me on that, but that's my opinion. Uh, Everybody else is outstanding. Is outstanding. You've got uh, Ray Stevenson, Zachary Levi, uh, Tadanobu Asano, and Jamie Alexander back as Sif in the Warriors Three. Rene Russo as Frigga, Anthony Hopkins as Odin, 
Uh, Hiddleston, of course, of course, is Loki. Natalie Portman as a talking jar of mayonnaise. Uh, the outstand, the outstanding Idris Elba, and God, do I just feel bad for Christopher Eccleston? Just so, so bad all the time. Um, but I don't know. I I feel bad for I feel bad for the Thor movies so far because I don't feel like they've gotten that quintessential. Even even the first one, I should I should kind of back off my comments a little bit. The first one wasn't perfect. I mean, it it has parts that left that left me a little bit cold. I wasn't quite as engaged quite as engaged with it as I had been with uh, as I was with Iron Man or The Incredible Hulk or after that the Captain America movies. Uh, but this one, it, it felt, it looked initially like this was going to just up the ante on the first one. It was going to be big, spectacular, dramatic, brutal in, pla- in places. And ultimately, it, it just left me feeling kind of empty because I didn't feel like other than plot, it really advanced much. But we we we've got room to get it, room to get into that. Uh, Mark, uh, why don't you give us a rundown on the story, such as such as it is? And God, is it, is it a story? Does it does it ever drag out? <laughs> All right. Um, again, I'm not going to go bit by bit by bit, beat by beat, as they say. Uh, I was going to give you the the bare bones of this thing. We're two years after the events of the original Avengers. Thor has returned to Asgard as has Loki. Loki has to answer for his crimes in, uh, in the Battle of New York with the Chitauri. Uh, Thor, with the, uh, since the Bifrost had been destroyed, uh, has had to go to the different realms and pacify each realm as they have gone to pieces. And where we pick up the story, Thor's just about at the end of a long uh, battle across the Nine Realms. And Loki is being thrown into the dungeons. Uh, we get a flashback uh, that introduces our villains and our MacGuffin. MacGuffin is the Ether, and our villain is Malekith, the Dark Elf. Uh, the Dark Elf wants to re- Malekith, the Dark Elf wants to return the universe to darkness. When he's going to do that by recapturing his lost Ether and releasing it during the convergence of the Nine Realms, therefore uh, bringing the universe back to darkness. That's his whole goal. Uh, As the convergence approaches, we have uh, phenomena happening where portals are opening up all all over the universe, specifically in uh, London, where... We, we go back to, as Sean put it, the talking jar of mayonnaise, otherwise known as Natalie Portman's Jane Foster, uh, goes to investigate as she is an astrophysicist, or at least she's playing one on TV. She goes through the portal. She ends up in Schmerberheim, where the ether is. The ether gets, goes into her. She comes back. Uh, Heimdall is not able to see her anymore, so Thor goes to Earth, where she conveniently returns. 
Uh, when he realizes the ether is in her, he brings her back to Asgard uh, to try to get the ether out of her. Now that the ether has awakened, uh, so has Malekith, who had gone into a catatonic state. Uh, he turns Algrim, who is Adebisi from the from Oz, and that's all I'll never oh, that's all I'll ever know him as. Uh, he turns him into a cursed or curse, however you like it. They invade Asgard in order to get uh, J- Jane get the ether out of her. The uh, the attack is repelled, but leaves a lot of destruction in their wake, and they end up murdering Thor's mother, Frigga. Uh, Odin decides he's just going to lock Jane up uh, and you know prepare for a second uh, wave of attacks. Thor goes, well, that's dumb. Why don't we just go to Vrigaheim and we'll get uh, Malekith to get the ether out of her and uh, then we'll destroy the ether when that happens. And Odin says, fuck your couch. That's not a good plan. And he'll sacrifice as many Asgardians as aren't necessary, as he uh, as he says it. <laughs> I too love that line, Sir Anthony Hopkins. I salute you. Um, which forces Thor to go against his father and get all of the warriors three and Sif and Heimdall to help him commit treason. There, you know, uh, thus going against his father and uh, escaping Asgard and heading off to Shmagegiheim and going executing his plan. Uh, he he breaks out Loki in order to do this cuz Loki knows how to not you how to find a secret portal to Schmegegeheim and uh they work out a plan to enact all of the above. It doesn't work. Uh, um and Loki in theory dies in the process. Malekith gets the ether, uh he absorbs it. He goes to where the center of the convergence is, and wouldn't you know who won the pony? Shout out to Jim Cornette. Uh, the center of the convergence is right in jolly old London, because of course it is. Everything happens on Earth. That's the way this works. Uh, um, <clears throat> they proceed to have a astrophysical battle where they're jumping through portals and jumping through time and space, and the hammer is Molina is just flying everywhere. And eventually, Thor wins the day. Uh, just, uh, the, he recaptures the ether. Malekith uh, ends up being trapped back on Schmagegeheim, and the ship falls on him like the Wicked Witch of the East. Uh, Thor goes. Uh, Thor goes back to Asgard, rejects the throne, and who he thinks he's talking to Odin turns out he's talking to Loki, but he doesn't know that. Um, but Loki, as Odin says, go, be free, go, in a, go, go be an Avenger, which, of course, he does, uh, and we know that from Age of Ultron. Meanwhile, back in the city, uh, the Aether is taken to the Collector, who is trying to amass all of the Infinity Stones, of which that is one. And that, my friends, is Thor, the Dark World. Your witness, <clears throat> sir. Okay. Allow me to sort of uh, pace a circle around Thor the Dark World for just a moment. Uh, when I think of Iron Man, I think of moments like the outstanding montage of Tony building the Mark II armor. I think of 
his uh, that that awesome sequence of his first flight. I think of his uh, his assault on the terrorists who origi- who originally imprisoned him. I think of the the absolutely incredible, totally apropos score by, and I apologize if I if I butcher his name entirely, Ramin Jawadi. When I think of Captain America, I think of I think of Steve rescuing Bucky. You know, I, I think of some of, some of the lighthearted moments of his <laughs> his his early nascent days in the costume as nothing more than a USO mascot. I think it's and again it's another movie that has that has a really inspiring theme that if you loved that movie when you hear it it just brings those memories flooding right back. When I think about the incredible Hulk every last one of you shut up. I think about Edward Norton jumping out of the jumping out of the plane falling and falling to and falling to earth and becoming the hulk i think of the big climactic fight with the abomination i think of the assault at the college campus the brawl in the brazilian factory the avengers oh god where would i even begin with that movie <laughs> too many things to talk about that i have some absolutely love you Puny God, Tony coming, flying into the rescue with, with shoot to thrill, hack to blare over over Shields radios. Uh, the uh, just just every, just all the the bickering on the on the helicarrier. The point that I make here, and you know what? Actually, let's back up because I almost forgot one. The original Thor. Okay, so much to, rem- to remember there. The battle with the frost giants. Thor discovering coffee for the first time. I love it every time. <laughs> it cracks me up every time. This drink, I like it. Smash another. <laughs> um, you, know, you, you, you get to see so many nice little character moments in that before he really even gets back to any combat, before he gets back to you know, being fucking Thor, God of Thunder. Uh, <laughs> the, the movie that introduced us to Tom Hiddleston as Loki, you know, the, the role that he is now not going to be able to get away from for the rest of his career. Uh, sorry, Tom, you're an outstanding actor. I know you'll exceed it, but in some people's minds, that's always who you are going to be. You are going to be Loki. In each of those movies, there are moments, whether they're musical, visual, story, whatever, that that stick with you and that really define them, and they stand out every time someone mentions that movie. There's always something you're going to mention as your favorite part. When it comes to Thor, the Dark World, I got fucking nothing. 
when <laughs> when Mark wanted to do this. I I remember liking it when I saw it. But man, nothing about the music really stood out. I, I remember it being being orchestral and epic in places as you would expect as you would expect it to be because we're talking about urban fantasy here. I I remember Chris Hemsworth, of course, once more being good at being good as Thor. Nothing really wrong there, but there were no moments where I felt like in Thor's journey toward the next chapter of the Avengers, where he really stepped forward and became something more, became something better. I never really felt like there was in, there was any kind of internal conflict with him going on whatsoever. He was just still Thor. You know? That was that was it. You could maybe make an argument that there was the conflict of the fact that you know Madame Miracle Whip was a little bit pissy that while he was battling Chitari along the New York skyline, that he didn't pop in real quick for a quickie. But, honey, what did you expect? I mean, seriously, that's where we are with the romantic subplot here. The notion of, you were on on the planet, and you didn't stop in to say hi. He was a little bit busy. (laughs) <laughs> at, th- at that point, you aren't so much being Jane Foster as you are being Sam Raimi's version of Mary Jane Watson. <sighs> Loki was... Well, he was Loki. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Frank, I mean, frankly... Yeah... <sighs> He for a while we get teased a little bit with a bit of oh maybe he's going to put his differences with with Thor aside and they're going to fight on the good again, folks. Fill your glasses, raise the cups because we're about to play the drinking game. If you've ever ever seen a feud between Sting and any member of the Four Horsemen. You knew exactly what was going to happen. It wasn't so much telegraphed as it was practically boomed down from the heavens by God himself. Yeah, the death of Frigga was a little bit of a moment. I mean, it would have meant more if not for the fact that we barely spent any time with her at all in the first movie, so aside from just the fact that you know, she 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 pushed, you know, Thor out of her out of her holy birth canal and adopted Loki, there's not much else to her than that. We we have and that's not on Renee Russo, that's pretty much on the two stories. And we're not given a reason to give a shit, except, you know, that's Thor's mom. We don't necessarily care that she's dead, that she's dead though. We sort of care because Thor cares. And unfortunately, that just feels kind of hollow in this instance. Uh, we learn that 
Odin is kind of a bag of dicks. <laughs> which, you know, we're promptly corrected on in Thor Ragnarok. We learn that he is a Costco-sized wet bag of rotting dicks. Um, but otherwise, there's not really a whole lot here that's worth remembering, except for the fact that it's visually very accomplished. That's another thing I'll say about the Marvel movies. There's never been a bad-looking Marvel movie. They've all been fun to watch. In fact, that's been the classic knock on them from an entire stodgy Hollywood generation that it seems more and more lately seems to live to complain about superhero movies. Uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, who I might add, this is the same guy who says out of one end of his mouth, oh, any film student could make this on a com- can make this on a computer. That's not real movie making. And then says out of the other side of his mouth, so I got this idea for a Joker movie. <laughs> really, Marty? So help me if the next words out of your mouth were going to be starring Leonardo DiCaprio. <sighs> it would be cause to revoke his Oscar. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... I mean, that's good, but you're also, it's a visual storytelling medium, and this didn't tell a story with any substance to it. I I wonder if maybe Patty Jenkins couldn't have told the story a little bit better. Maybe she would have done a little bit more to flesh Jane out as a character. Uh, You know, Marvel Marvel has not been very good about making the uh, non-hero love interest terribly interesting in any of the movies. They failed to do it with Pepper Potts. They failed, to, they failed to do it with Betty and the Incredible Hulk. They did an utterly miserable job with it when it comes to Jane Foster. The main one I could think of where they did it, where they really did a pretty good job with it was Peggy Carter. Uh, you know, so so big up to Rachel Wise and Haley Atwell, respectively for, respectively for that, and to the uh, the Russo brothers for sort of carrying that along. But otherwise, it's the one thing that no movie about a major Marvel character should be, and that is. It is forgettable because everybody in this blockbuster cast deserves better because you can tell they're trying. You can tell that Hemsworth is giving his, little, his level best, as is Hiddleston, as is Hopkins. Natalie, well, Natalie, you're an Academy Award winner. We know you can do better. You just kind of didn't give a shit. Um I feel bad for Christopher Eccleston because somehow he's he's an outstanding actor who occasionally finds his way shoehorned into into these roles where he's just not given that much to work with. Um, and I'm a little bit biased because he's he was he was my introduction to Doctor Who. <laughs> 
uh, he and David Tennant. But here even he's not terribly interesting as, as Malekith. It's a franchise that has been done no favors, that hasn't been been given much to work with after the first two movies at this point, except that this is how we're going to introduce and move along another Infinity Stone. Sometimes that's about all it feels like. Like that and let's kind of advance Loki's arc a little bit. Both movies sometimes feel like they're more about Loki than they are about Thor. Which would be fine if the ti- if the first word in your title wasn't Thor. So that's really what you have to indict this movie for. Is you have to indict it for not doing nearly as much with an outstanding character as you character as you could have, being little more than something fairly pretty to look at, and not doing much to set itself apart in the pantheon as something where when somebody mentions Thor the Dark World, you can snap off something that makes it its own. Because what it has isn't really worth a whole lot. Your witness. The prosecution missed two critical elements that make Thor The Dark World a an outstanding movie. And it's an often oft-criticized gem. I know there's a better phrase for what I'm, what I'm trying to say here, but sorry. Um, it, it, it hasn't quite reached cult classic, and I don't know of any of the Marvel movies, you know, as good or bad as they are will ever reach that kind of a level, but I, I think it is definitely a misunderstood masterpiece. There are two elements that make it such. One, it's the Thor movie we wanted after your introduction to Thor in the first movie. We want to see... Thor was always at his best as a cosmic superhero. There are so many overpowered, earthbound heroes. And, and you have the same problem with the Hulk. The Hulk is so overpowered on Earth that unless you gave him more ethereal issues to deal with or you took him off-world entirely, uh, he tended to not have great stories. When you took him off-world or when you gave him more psychological, more personal issues to deal with, he becomes a much more interesting character. Uh, Thor's not much different than that. Thor was at his best as a cosmic entity. When he was on Earth fighting the Wrecking Crew and whatnot, eh, not so much. Especially because, again, he's a god with a magic hammer. So, the movies have followed the same suit. He's less interesting as the fish-out-of-water character on Earth, though, what's, you know, though what saves that movie is, as the prosecution said, it's a redemption tale. And who doesn't want to see you know, a hero, find the, find the hero within? But that's not what's fun about Thor. What's fun about Thor is seeing him fight across the nine realms and dealing with other gods and other cosmic beings and having 
cosmic adventures. And that's what the dark world gave us. The dark world shows Thor in the best setting and in the best element possible. You see him at the very start of the movie fighting across the nine realms and dealing with space oddities and creatures. And let's face it, we want to see Hulk smash. We want to see Captain America throw his shield and have it bounce off things like a pinball. We want to see Iron Man fly around and shoot stuff. We want to see Hawkeye shoot arrows that nobody else could possibly hit those targets. We want to see the Vision walk through walls, and we want to see the Scarlet Witch do magic. And what do we want to see Thor do? What does everybody want? We want to see him swing the fucking hammer. Yeah. Shit, yeah. We want to see him hit stuff with it. And what does he do in the first scene of the movie? He smashes whatever uh, whatever creatures the, the Korg character is from. Just smashes it to bits. Hell yeah. And and just a point of fact, not that I want to get off on a tangent about Ragnarok, what's the first thing we see him do in Ragnarok, spoilers? Is him swinging the hammer around. Do Last Dance with Molyner. That's what that they should have played Tom Petty in the background. Instead of Last Dance with Mary Jane, it should have been Last Dance with Molyner. I'm going to pronounce it differently every every time. Just bear with me. Um but he's swinging the hammer around. He's bashing people, he's bashing searchers creatures to bits. It's fantastic. That's what we want to see Thor do and there wasn't enough of that obviously in the first movie. They more than made up for it in the dark world. Fuck the 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 final sequence is Thor and Malekith having a fight with the hammer, basically. <laughs> you know, Shawn Michaels... Take a drink, everyone. Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, had a match with a ladder. They had a fight with the hammer. The hammer was the best part of that entire fight, just flying around the cosmos, hither and thither. It was fantastic. What visuals. And... Sean, the, the prosecution talked about there's nothing memorable about the Dark World. That's all I remember about the Dark World. Now, I've had a refresher since then. I've watched it twice in preparation for this show. But prior to that, if you asked me, what do I remember about the Dark World? I would have told you the beginning sequence of Thor leading the charge and bashing, uh, and, and bashing the enemy with his hammer. And the final fight scene with the hammers flying all over the cosmos. Now, the other critical element the prosecution just passed over didn't give uh, credence towards is that Thor the Dark World may not have the best villain or the best villain's plot, but what it lacks in that good guy, bad guy dynamic, it makes up for, and in a lot of ways is really about family. This is a movie about familial relationships, about the relationship between Thor and his father, about the relationship between Loki and Odin, and about the relationship between Loki and Thor, none of which get explored fully enough in the first movie. This is the movie, now that we have all of our established characters, and rightly so. It's, it's the Empire Strikes Back of, of this series of movies. 
specifically the Thor series. It's the time that you can t- you can take some time, pause the tape a little bit, and explore these characters. I think this is why a lot of reviewers had such a hard time with it because you know, they they just want to see, as I said before, they just want to see Thor hit hit stuff with hammers apparently, and when the movie takes its time to deal with something as simple as the relationship between his son and his father, they go, well, that's not what's fun about comic books. These are people who don't read comic books. Because if you read the comic books, you know that stuff is laden with relationship issues. Yes, there's time for fighting, there's time for fussing, but but the Marvel comic books have always been psychological, have always dealt with relationships and the and Thor the Dark World does a very good job of bringing all of that out and let's talk about that for a minute we have Odin who it really is that archetype of father knows best I've been the father of the gods for a millennia and I will go be the father of the gods for a millennia more I know how to defend my keep little Lord of the Rings for you there I know how to defend my keep, and I don't need your counsel. And then you have Thor, who has, who has had this other perspective. He's had the perspective of being humbled and being on Earth and being among you know, Earth's mightiest heroes. And they're at odds. And then you have Loki. Loki, who, who's just this ongoing character study of somebody with all of this animosity and jealousy. And the best, other than watching Thor hit things with hammers, the other best part of this movie is that, is that dynamic between Thor and Loki. That whole escape sequence works because the entire time you have Thor sort of humbling himself to work with somebody who's done so much bad, but he knows he needs them. And at the end of the day, he wants to believe that there's something worth saving in Loki. Which is why you, you know, when you have that death scene, you know, Sean talked about, well, we don't really feel anything when Frigga dies. And I'll grant you that. There's not enough time spent with Rene Russo to really care about the character. You're absolutely right. You care because Thor cares, and that's not really enough. But we have spent oodles of time with Loki, and his death was the most prominent one in the movie. And so when, you are, when it is believed that he has sacrificed himself for the greater good, and you see Thor, who has had so many problems with Loki and has so many issues, you know, come, come to grips with the loss of his brother, you do feel. I don't see how you can't feel in that scene. And that's what makes Thor the Dark World great. Is it the best? No. That's the Winter Soldier. It, it, it will and always... It has been and always will be. But if you put away your biases of what a comic book movie should be, or even what you think a Thor movie should be, and you just look at the elements of what this movie... of what makes this movie, and you focus on those relationships between Thor, Loki, and Odin... You have the makings of a very entertaining piece. 
And when they're not dealing with those relationships, Thor's hitting things with hammers. And when he's not hitting something with a hammer, the hammer's flying around doing its own thing, <laughs> which was fun. And that's the last thing I want to bring up, and that's this. Film, take a drink, everyone. Film is a visual medium. And there's only so many ways you can film good guys and bad guys having a fight. Look, the best parts of Wonder Woman were everything but that third act. We all know this. We all know that the fight between Ares and Wonder Woman was kind of the shits. Contrast that with Thor The Dark World, where, you know, who, who really wants to see Thor and Malekith have a fist fight? Wasn't it a fun thing to see them do something on a cosmic scale? Them flying through portals, the hammer flying through portals, you know, Thor having to outthink his opponent because brute strength wasn't getting the job done. Him having to depend on the humans in this and them being able to play a heroic part because brute strength just wasn't getting the job done. That's good stuff right there. That's good writing. That's a fun way to end this piece. And it makes up for the fact that Malekith is kind of a shit villain. Agreed. Malekith is a shit villain, and it's kind of a shit plot. But like I said, at the table, you have all these great entrees, and then that Malekith and that plot is, you know, is maybe a little bit of undercooked this and overcooked that. But... It doesn't spoil the entire meal. The defense rests. Allow me to work backwards to make my points. First off, the defense mentioned Loki's death as being a moving, pivotal scene in the movie. Yeah, it would be. Again, if not for the fact that you could see that twist coming a mile and a half away at least. And that's if you happen to be particularly nearsighted. (laughs) Basically, that scene serves to kind of make Thor look like a dumb shit. (laughs) Your brother is the trickster god. As I recall, I believe you thought he died at the end of the first movie. The slippery little shit has found so many ways to escape your grasp. Any other hero with half a brain, although, uh, granted, we've well and truly established that that... Thor is not the brightest crayon in the box, would have looked on that with a bit of skepticism and gone, at at the very least whispered in his ear, if you think for a second, dear brother, that I'm buying this. That's the thing. It's not all that emotionally engaging because... You don't, there's no way you buy that Marvel would kill off, that Marvel and Disney would kill off one of their breakout characters only this far into their franchise. There's just no way. It's telegraphed just too loudly. 
for it to really mean anything. He also mentioned this being a movie about family. And, yeah, to a certain extent, I will grant you that. But you see, here's the problem, and here is where Thor fails to do more than it could have, and where I really believe that there could have been something special in Patty Jenkins' vision. What sets Marvel apart among superhero movies is the fact that Marvel thus far has not made superhero movies. They've made genre movies with superheroes as a backdrop. That's what they've done incredibly well, as we've pointed out both on this series and on Long Road to Ruin. Um, Iron Man, series of spectacular tech action thrillers. Uh, the first Captain America was, in its own way, I thought kind of a kind of almost a curious throwback to Indiana Jones in a way. Uh, the next two were government espionage thrillers. Uh, Hulk might as well have been the closest thing we're going to. We're going to get to a to a Marvel monster movie. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of their enormous space epic. Uh, Ant Man, you've got a heist comedy. Uh, Doctor Strange, that's another one that I almost want to kind of lump into the urban fantasy category, in a way. Um, I, I could go on and on. Thor had elements of both urban fantasy and kind of a little bit of high fantasy in there, too. But that's the problem with this. This just feels like kind of the most comic booky of comic book movies. And that's kind of why it feels so hollow. It feels like it wasn't as ambitious in what it tried to do as the other movies were, because those weren't merely comic movies. Those were the ones that with the quality of their filmmaking, the quality of their script, and the investment that they made in character sort of turned a notion of what a comic book movie could be right around on its head. Which segues nicely into another point that I want to bring this back to. And I'll, I will give the defense this. Yes, this is the perfect setting for Thor in terms of the actual physical backdrop, in terms of the battle to pacify the Nine Realms, Malekith's quest for, uh, quest for revenge, um, the, the segueing back and forth between... between Earth and the and the other realm, but at the same time, along the way, that's all it really feels like. It is it really feels like pretty visuals, and that's something that I will give for Ragnarok. As I said, I'm not really sure how that sits how that sits with me. I was kind of jarred by it tonally because it wasn't what I expecting or what wasn't what I expected. 
can you tell I write for a living? <laughs> what I was <laughs> expecting. But I will give it this. In addition to being visually impressive, it certainly chose a direction with a lot of character, with personality. And I think that's the word that I was groping for the first time that I happened to miss in terms of what Thor the Dark World lacks. It lacks personality. It lacks a heart. In Ragnarok, yeah, I'll say it. I was starting to not be quite sure how I felt about the constant about the constant goofiness by the time we got a little more than halfway through it, you know, about midway, midway into the second act or so. But I got to say, it at least gave everybody a personality. It at least made everybody really sharply distinct. In the midst of all of it, it still had a sense of stakes, even if I, I was also kind of struggling to juxtapose that with look at everything that's on the line here. Look at the evidently utter, kind of barely competent morons who are fighting over this. Um. Because really nobody seems really exceptionally, especially bright. <laughs> um, oh, okay, Hella, I will, I will say, yeah, okay. Um, it, to to the point where she just seems kind of exasperated by absolutely everything going on around her, and and you kind of wonder the whole time how Hemdall's uh, patience <laughs> is holding out through all of this. But when it comes to the dark world, there's none of that there, and it feels like it wastes what should be a perfect setting. Uh, keep in mind, this is not the first Marvel movie to go interstellar. I mean, granted, it's a different kind of movie, but Guardians of the Galaxy did it too. And it still managed to infuse something colorful, something that kind of shined through, something that invested you just a little bit more. And it even managed to be thoroughly unpredictable, both movies, for the most part. Not really so much with this one. It... I never really felt that in terms in terms of the investment in Thor and Jane. I and yeah, you're damn right I'm going to mention it. It's another example of somehow Marvel fails at villain. Which I don't know how. You've created some of the uh, some of the greatest villains in the annals of pop culture. How can you not get any of them right? I'm starting to be afraid of what we're going to get when we finally see Thanos. Because so far, you've kind of managed to cock up the goddess of death. 
a dark elf who's out for revenge for the death of his people, especially his family, um, and wants to become the omnipotent ruler of all nine realms. Okay, you managed to get Loki right. Well done there. But that also means you have to end at the same time, you have to answer for Yellow Jacket, Obadiah Stain, Red Skull. Uh, oh, God, Prime. I should. I'm not going to. I'm not going to elaborate on this one because it's going to make the vein in my head pop out. The fucking Mandarin. Just one af- Just one after another. After another. Hello was at least interesting. Um. And, well, Jeff Goldblum just got to be Jeff Goldblum, (laughs) which it worked. He's kind of in that phase where he never has to act again, literally not not like as in he's made so much money he never needs to make another movie, just as in he doesn't need to put any more work than just show up on the set, know his lines, and just be Jeff Goldblum. That's all he's got to do. <laughs> but in that context, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Okay, I, you know what? I stand corrected. I stand corrected. Uh, Kurt Russell as Ego the Living Planet. Perfect. Nailed it. He was, he was awesome. He was everything that I hoped he was going to be. But otherwise, there's just not much left to say about this except that it's proof that sometimes just looking good is not enough, especially when it comes to a storytelling medium. You know, if this were Thor, the oil painting, uh, that would be one thing because we would just be able to look at, to look at it and admire the shading the tone, the depiction of the action. But at the same time, in a, in a franchise, in a universe where so many other movies have gone so far to take these characters and kind of imbue them with more than what we've been conditioned in past decades to expect from a superhero movie, this one just feels... I don't know if I want to say misguided or phoned in, but either way, it all adds up to being disappointing. The defense rests. So my only, now that the the trial is over, um, not guilty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But seriously, folks, you know, I remember when I first saw it, I saw it with my wife. We went on a date and watched it, and I was entertained by it. And then I remember thinking about it after, and I'm like, eh, it wasn't that great of a movie. Um, and, I, and I really got stuck on Marvel, Marvel stinks at villains. Watching it again a couple of years later, you know, I, I, I stand by everything that I said. I, I really do feel that way. Um, that watching Thor get to do Thor you know, was, was fun to watch on screen. I mean, it was novel. It had never been done before. What, what was the only other Thor we ever got? The one that was on the, uh, the made-for-TV movie with the Hulk. And, you know, not so much. Um, 
you get to see a little bit, a little bit in the Avengers, but I mean, you know, everyone's got to share so much screen time that watching Thor get to be Thor in his own movie for a fan was was a lot of fun, and you know, and I stand and I stand by that I, I really did enjoy the family dynamics. Um, doesn't make any any of your arguments, uh, you know, any less so. There are definitely, and I I, I agree that they. Even if you were, if you didn't see it coming, it does get undercut by him revealing that he's alive at the end of the movie, and you're like, "Oh, you sneaky mm-hmm. bastard!" <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a good point there. There, but I definitely have come to appreciate the movie as time has gone on more so than when it first came out. Uh, liked Ragnarok better, obviously, but you know, I didn't. I, I obviously don't hate the Dark World. And that's that's really all I feel it needs to be said on this as we uh, we move out here. Um, the next on trial will be in two weeks. We'll actually be doing a, a special Friday show, uh, celebration of the upcoming Justice League movie that was directed by Zack Snyder, then thrown in the garbage and reshot by Josh Whedon. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> We'll be taking an opportunity to do something I rarely do on this show. I try not to repeat things that we've talked about on Damn You Hollywood, but boy, Batman v Superman has got so much going on in it that it does bear a second, a second look and a, a different podcast perspective. So we're going to go ahead and put that one on trial, folks. Batman v Superman, round two. <laughs> We, and we're, we're going to go ahead and do that on the aptly named uh, Black Friday. Um, meanwhile, back in the city, as I said, this is Thor week, everything Thor. Uh, we did Thor Ragnarok, the comic book from 2004, otherwise known as Thor Disassembled on Source Material. That was this past Monday. We reviewed uh, Ragnarok, which <laughs> that, that review uh, had, a, had a guest appearance by Pat Mullen and quickly turned into old men yell at clouds. So, oh my God, <laughs> it, it's it's just Pat. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it. If you think our our bits on on Rotten Tomatoes are particularly negative, you ain't heard nothing yet. So go ahead and give that a shot if you dare. Uh, last night of the Metal Hammer of Doom, we jumped in the Wayback Machine, looked at a 2009 record called uh, Thor by a band called Wizard. Next week. Um, we will be doing a TV party tonight. Uh, myself and Jesse are going to look at the third season of Black Mirror and close the book on that for the time being. And then it's Rob's pick on Metal Hammer of Doom. We're going to review a little something called Ackercock. I don't know what an Ackercock is, but it sounds terrible. And we're going to listen to it anyway. What do you got going on, Sean? Well, folks, first off, as I always like to say, thank you to each and every last one of you that listens. We appreciate it. You are the reason why we do what we do. I mean that I've been having fun doing this through all the ups and downs in my life over over the past. My God, Mark, can you believe we've been at this for five years now? <laughs> um, hey, it didn't seem that long, to be honest with you. Uh, if you, uh, I didn't realize it had been that long, but I'm looking forward to next year. I'm looking forward to next year's list. I, I've made a new list, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the sensei of scheduling. <laughs> uh, uh, yep. But thank you 
every last one of you, please spread the good word of the Rod Lichen Broadcasting Network. Uh, we want as many people to listen to us as possible that one day – you never know. Maybe we'll one day find some generous advertiser and, co- and cobble uh, together enough money that Mark and I can each get a pizza some night. Um, <laughs> it would be it would be ni- it would be nice pay for doing this. Uh, but of course, we do it first and foremost because uh, this is just stuff that we love to sit and bullshit about. Uh, we always we always said during Long Road to Ruin that. We were like a couple guys who just got out of a movie and were sitting talking about what we had just seen over a plate of cheese fries. And you know, I would that that's no matter what show we've done, that's kind of what we've always aimed for. But just as importantly, uh, as for what I've got going on in the immediate future, if any of you happen to be in the Kansas City area. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, I will be sitting at the Honeysuckle Rose Creations table in Bartle Hall for Kansas City Comic Con, helping sell fine fashions uh, made from upcycled game pieces. Uh, Never know what you might find. It's also a great time to stop and put in a custom order if you happen to like our style and want to um, inquire about something off the menu that might be a little more near and dear to your heart. You'll find everything from anime to action movies, from comics to classic cart- cartoons. We've got a little bit of everything represented, so be sure and stop by. As for myself personally, um, good news. Uh, I'm going to be getting back to online writing very very soon. I'm currently working on my first post for a something I've debated doing for a long time, and that is kind of an all-purpose personal blog. I've got a don- domain name purchased and everything. Uh, so I'm currently working on my first post for comercodex.com. You'll find everything there from just my personal observations to obviously the occasional short nerdy rant about stuff from music, video games, wrestling, movies, TVs, whatever happens to be on my mind at the time. And last but not least, I am also working on my first set of contributions for Yes Wrestling, uh, the site that has been presided over for quite some time by uh, Greg DeMarco and Tony Acero, both of whom are great friends and even greater influences on my writing. Uh, it's going to be obviously wrestling-related column. Uh, a match retrospective, a topical one called Eight Match Tag. Uh, my selection of eight matches on the WWE Network that fit whatever theme I happen to be I happen to be looking at. And my very first one that I am working on is going to revolve around the eight key matches that make up the uh, historic, possibly greatest in the history of the business uh, feud between The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Uh, I don't have a release date for that quite yet because obviously once I turn it in, it's up to them when they decide to publish it. But I will let you know when I've got that done and when I have handed over that over to them and probably expect it within a month or two after that. But otherwise, if you want to, uh, feel free to tweet at me at Comer Codex on Twitter. Uh, that currently is the one best place to find me. 
So in the meantime, everybody out there, be excellent to each other. Remember that $20 will buy many peanuts. And as I always say, never dull your colors for someone else's canvas. All right. In the very near future, I'll go ahead and reveal the 2018 schedule, um, at least half of it. Sean's still going to make his picks. I got I, I to gotta know. I got to know, Sean, my champion. Sorry. I, I, I went Jeff Goldblum for a second. Um, what did you think of the list? I loved it. I loved it. I am damn excited about 2018. This, this show is so much more fun to do when I'm clear-headed. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm excited for it. it. Really, you know, it's it definitely really my 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 picks were definitely you know as they always are based on other stuff we're doing uh, for the most part. The, there's the occasional I just want to do it, uh, barbed wire. I'm looking in your direction, but uh, you know the rest of oh it is is, is based. <laughs> I have I, I talked I, to, I, I, I talked with Jesse about it a couple of months back, and you know, and I actually had an idea for a different show, and I was like, you know what, I'll just do it all on trial. And then twist Jesse's arm and make him do the comic book that same week. Um, but yeah, I, that, that one's been in the back of my mind for a while now. The, you know, the, there's been a couple of these um, that uh, I'm really, I'm, I'm really looking. I mean, I'm looking forward to doing all of them. But there's been a couple on, on the list that I was like, well, we couldn't get to them this year. Uh, I definitely want to get to them next year. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, and I'm excited to see what you come up with because you, you, like I said, I, I always come up with something very thematic. You tend to come up with something out of left field, and it really makes for a fun schedule. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what you come up with uh, as we roll into 2018 and, you know, when 2017 comes to a close. So look for that in the near future, folks. I'm not quite ready to talk about it yet. It's fucking November. But um, as, we, as we approach the end of December, we'll, we'll roll out the list, and Sean will, uh, will give you a couple of his early picks for the year. But until then, we'll see you in... Uh, a little over two weeks. Uh, ha- have yourself a uh, happy Thanksgiving. Come check us out on Black Friday. For Sean, the prosecution, I am your defense. Mr. Mark Radledge, and frankly, I'm mortified. Be well, be safe, and behave. Court is now in recess. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.